What is wrong with Cloud9? Do we need to hit the panic button? FlyQuest has now jumped up to the top of the table. Are they now the favorites in North America? And I'll be making the case as to why Immortals is going to make playoffs for the first time in a long time. Episode 151 of the Clown Fiesta podcast, just with JNT250 today. No Blue Jay, unfortunately, and kind of sad to say that he's not going to be on the Clown Fiesta podcast for the foreseeable future. Um, he's got some health issues that he's currently working through right now, but it's nothing too serious. He's doing fine. Maybe he'll uh, he'll appear as a guest in a couple episodes later down the line, and maybe at a certain point he can get his privileges back when he decides to grace us with his presence. But uh, we just had a banger of a super week uh, in the LCS week three. We're halfway through the split now, and I feel like after the first half, we have a very exciting second half to get through with the big shakeup that we saw during the super week. Obviously, kind of, we got to start with FlyQuest and their rise to the top, now sitting at six and one in the standings. And going off of our last week's episode, for me, I had a lot of questions about the FlyQuest bot lane, bot lane and if they were going to be a detriment on the team and sort of drag them down to their full potential of being a top one, top two, top three team. Because Inspired, Whippo, and Jensen are League of Legends veterans who've been in the scene for, I think, individually at a minimum four years, but obviously Whippo and Jensen a lot longer inspired, still relatively new to the scene, but still a veteran. And I was obviously concerned for this bot lane being uh, Busio and Masu being an unproven talent and Masu and Busio who looked, he looked pretty solid on hundred thieves last year. I don't think there was anything super special that I saw from him. That was like, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to be the, the best support in the league. But this week, a very good week for FlyQuest, going 3-0 up against 100 Thieves, Cloud, and Indignitas. And like I said, I feel like the question needs to be asked, do we view FlyQuest as the number one team moving forward? And I say that because they obviously have a two-game lead ahead of everyone else in the standings, but their wins and sort of their whole, the whole season that we've seen from them so far has been very consistent. You know, I think... From some of the other teams that are still towards the top of the standings, like your NRG, your 100 Thieves, your TL, even your C9, if you want to count them at three and four, they've looked really, really shaky for the most part, especially in specific games. You know, you look at the C9 game versus Shopify or any other games during Super Week. You look at NRG's games versus Immortals and 100 Thieves. You look at uh, Team Liquid's game against uh, also Immortals and uh, was it Dignitas, the game that they almost lost in the first part of Super Week. So I feel like there's a lot to be concerned about with some of these other teams except for FlyQuest. And, and the question that a lot of people have with FlyQuest going into the split was everyone knows that the individual players on this roster is going to be good. The question was, were they going to gel in time to become a good team? I, I, think, I think a lot of people recognize that this team was probably going to be a better summer team than a better spring team because none of these five players had ever played together before. Uh, there's a couple of players that are coming off of massive breaks. You know, Bwipo hadn't played competitively in a year. Uh, inspired hadn't played competitively in six months. Jensen was kind of taking a bit of a, a bit of a break on Dignitas, not necessarily playing at a, his peak, but I feel like what we're seeing is the FlyQuest peak. Bwipo looks like the Bwipo that was number one, number two top laner over in the LEC when he was pretty much, it was him versus Wonder. He looks like that kind of Bwipo. Inspired, solid as ever. I think you got to sort of give him the edge over the the blabbers, the contracts, the rivers in terms of best jungler in the league. And Jensen looks like the old Jensen. I think there was a lot of questions surrounding Jensen 
uh, whether or not he was going to be able to return to that top form. And even if people were arguing that he could be a detriment to FlyQuest and say, why would FlyQuest want to go with a player like Jensen, who just had a really rough year on Dig, and when there was a lot of younger players, potentially with some more upside. And I think we're sort of seeing Jensen come back to that top player that we know that he is. I mean, I'm a Cloud9 fan, as everyone knows, you know, Jensen was one of the focal points of Cloud9 for over four years. The fact that FlyQuest is already looking this good this early on to the spring split, I think is a really good sign. I think if you had to ask me right now who the favorite was, I would say that FlyQuest is the favorite. You know, there's really, there's not a lot of holes I think that you can point to. The only hole that I say you can still point to would be the inexperience of the bot lane. But how do you not ignore the great super week that they had where they were solo killing the likes of Berserker and Vulcan, uh, the... The, the the young bot lanes of 100 Thieves and Dig as well, but solo kills and 2v2, 2v2 kills bot lane is always a massive part of the game. And I think it's a part of bot lane, which I think has kind of become... Uh, lost isn't the right word, just because we don't really see a lot of 2v2 kills in bot lane as we do supposed to, you know, like top lane and mid lane. Like those are the more traditional like solo kill, laning kill type lanes where you see, but... Whenever you have a very strong bot lane, it, it makes the game very easy to play. And I think that if all FlyQuest bot lane needs to do, they need to survive, they need to neutralize their opponent, and they need to let the top side do the heavy lifting. Because you're, you're going to see from Whippo, he's played a boatload of different champions through through the start of the split so far. He's played some Udyr, he's played some Olaf, he played a Darius game. Like This guy is going to be a carry player who's going to want a lot of the resources. And I think you point back to the... Uh, game against NRG that they played not last week, but the one before that, uh, the whole reason why that game got so out of whack was because of how crazy bot lane became. Where FlyQuest bot lane got behind, Inspired was forced to cover a lot of the dives, and it really just threw off the rest of the map macro-wise. You know, they had obviously picked the Sedge jungle in that game with the Darius stop of wanting to play for the top side. When they weren't able to do that, it looked like a bit of a struggle for FlyQuest, but any time apart from that, where, their FlyQuest is, where the FlyQuest bot lane is playing stable, the rest of the map just seems to run over their opponents. You know, Whippo, he's looking really solid, laning and otherwise inspired, like I said, my bet for best jungle at the moment right now. And Jensen, he could easily be the best mid right now in North America. So FlyQuest, they're looking really, really good at number one. And I, I think the favorite's going forward. Um, next up, we have NRG at number two. Uh, in the standings. Uh, I've now just realized I forgot to put the FlyQuest logo up when I was talking about FlyQuest. Part of the uh, part of the problems with doing this as a, a one-man mission, but we move, don't worry. Uh, Energy, they're 4-3 and three right now. Uh, not as concerning of a super week as Cloud9. I feel like if Cloud9 didn't go 0-3, I feel like Energy would kind of be thrown into that same conversation as Cloud9 is like, what's going wrong? Uh, these are the LCS champions of 2023. Summer 2023, that is. Obviously, we made top eight at Worlds. So there was a lot of hype going into this year for NRG, and rightfully so. You know, they were still maybe a bit uh, butthurt that they were power ranked number two on a lot of the power rankings. And I think they had a point to prove going to the spring split. So the fact that they've yet to prove that point and now have another team maybe that's leapfrogged them in the pecking order, that being FlyQuest, I think it really, you know, it makes me pause and wonders if there's cause for concern for the energy roster. Cause I remember in our first episode of 2024, we questioned is energy going to have a slow start because they're one of the teams who publicly said that 
they hadn't done a ton of uh, boot camping and are practicing up to the start of the split. They took an extended break during the offseason. Not surprising considering that they went to Worlds, finished top eight. You know, you could argue they deserve that break. I would say they didn't. I know if you, I think two episodes, we sort of talked about that. You know, I think energy needed to come into the split with a point to prove, and they haven't necessarily proven that point. You know, like I said, I think they're. There's lackluster Super Week is kind of flying under the radar because Cloud9 went 03. And it just makes me wonder if 2023 summer NRG, that was the peak NRG. I think, you know, we see it a lot of the times with some of these teams who maybe go to international tournaments and it's kind of a one off. Like, you know, you only go for that one year. Kind of think of the Vitality Season 8, um, 100 Thieves 2021. Trying to think of some other Western examples, uh, Clutch Gaming in season nine. You know, they're these orgs that they obviously have a really strong summer split and summer playoffs, and therefore go to Worlds. But what makes a very strong and popular team in North America is that continued domestic success. That's why teams like Team Liquid, formerly TSM, uh, Cloud Nine. That's why they become staples in the LCS is because their continued success at the domestic level. And the fact that energy is maybe struggling a bit going into 2024, it's just, it's making me question whether or not this is going to be a top team. And I, and I say top team, now that we're down to eight teams, I feel like you have to define what you say by a top team. And, and top team, I say top two in, in this sense, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, what's what's even the right word here? Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of close teams and close matches going on towards the mid and the bottom of the standings, and really only I would say the top two teams at, at times are ones who you think can go to international, can go internationally and compete with these powerhouses that you see from other regions. So the fact that NRG is kind of slow out of the gate is a little bit concerning. But like I said, I, I think due to the fact that they had a bit, a bit of a longer break in the offseason and maybe weren't maybe on the ball right away in 2024, makes me a little bit less worried than some of the other, you know, other teams that you, you think would be vying for the championship. And I think individually, in, it, it, I don't think it's really a matter of a certain player, you know, really struggling or the, the team aspect of it really struggling. I just think that each player is probably at like 10, you know, 10 to 15% less capacity in terms of their strength. I think that what we saw in 2023 was the peak NRG. You know, you saw Dokla taking it to the rest of the top players in the LCS, dominated Summit in the playoffs, dominated Fudge in the playoffs, Contracts, same thing, Palafox, same thing, Botlane. For the most part, they weren't the mega carries of the team. It was mostly the top side of NRG. But the bot lane doing their job, playing very well. And I think with the upgrade of Huhi over Ignar, I think people were expecting maybe a little bit more. Um, obviously, Huhi has his uh, who's, who he has his saucy picks that he's going to pull out and the energy is going to look really, really good on. The Senna Tom Kench is always an example that I'll come back to and say that's one of the big positives of the energy bot lane is they can play whatever the hell they want, basically, because Huhi is just that versatile. And I think that we are going to see energy just scale up a little bit, but... If we don't see that, that's when I wonder if the peak energy that we saw in 2023 isn't coming back. And if that doesn't come back, I think that NRG might just sort of return to being a middle-of-the-pack team. Now, I'm not hoping for that. I know for those of you who were listening in 2023, I was kind of a little bit of an energy hater. You could classify me as an energy hater or non-believer. I would say that Worlds sort of flipped it around for me because 
I'll even admit, also after LCS finals, wasn't the biggest, uh, wasn't as, wasn't as locked into NRG as I think everybody else was, but after Worlds definitely changed my mind on that. So like I said, the struggles into 2024, slight cause for concern, but not that much. Uh, next up, we have 100 Thieves, also sitting at four and three. Now, we talked about this last week, and I think I might have even said this the week prior, after the first week. But is it too early to call this season a success for 100 Thieves? Because I feel like all of these players are outperforming their expectations coming to the split. I think while everybody recognized that Sniper was a rookie and a very hyped up rookie, I don't think that people were necessarily expecting him to look as good as he has because I think apart from the game against Cloud9 where he played, uh, what was it? He's playing Gwen into Fudge's Udyr. Apart from that game, he's looked at worst average to good to sometimes great in pretty much every single game. I think maybe the, the first Riven game is also another game. You could maybe chalk up to some some rookie nerves, first game on stage type of thing. But I think Sniper has been really, really good so far towards the start of the split, and I think has been better than some expected, at least. I would say the timeline of how good that he's gotten has been faster than expected at the very least. Uh, River, this guy's just a beast. Uh, he looks to be just as good as he was in the days of Golden Guardians in 2023. Um, like I said, I think I would, I, I said in the FlyQuest segment, I would give the edge to Inspired for best jungler in the league. Uh, but River is a close second at this point. I think he does a really good job facilitating the team and does a good job. of. It feels weird to say filling the holes that exist on the 100 Thieves roster because I don't think there are holes, but any any rookie uh, any rookie mistakes, weaknesses, uh, maybe communication issues that could occur on the team with Quid just because he's a, he's a younger Korean player still, I feel like all of that are just getting... Uh, they're getting solved by River's presence. You know, it just feels like this team has a really good grasp on how to play the game, you know, what they want to do during the game. Uh, you know, their games are very, very bloody. I think the only the only knock on this team is sometimes their games can get a little messy and out of hand. And sometimes they don't thrive in the chaos as good as other teams do. But for the most part, I think this team is doing a really good job from the hand that they've been dealt. Because we want to talk about the power rankings, energy being viewed so highly, maybe not doing as well. 100 Thieves was a was a team that a lot of people had towards the bottom of various power rankings. And I don't think anybody expected this team to be this good this quickly. Uh, because if you would have told me at the start of the split that energy at that 100 Thieves was going to finish the split in seventh place and not look very good, I would have been like, yeah, that's fine. Not a huge deal. They weren't supposed to look good. So the fact that they're looking this good right now, I think really bodes well for the future, especially for the likes of players like uh, Sniper and Meech. These guys are rookies who are entering the LCS for the first time, playing their first games ever, and they look like pros. And, you know, I, I also got to be honest, I was never the biggest Quid fan in 2023. I thought that dude was going to get dropped like a hot potato in 2024 and not see a starting spot in a major region for a long time. And he's actually been playing pretty solid. I think, you know, I did, there was some... Uh, there was some flame that I was given to him last week for his Akali game because it was a bad Akali game. Don't get me wrong. But I still think that this guy is playing a lot better than he was in 2023. And maybe that's just to do him being more comfortable in the region. Obviously, he was kind of a last minute addition to 100 Thieves in summer 2023 because of the sudden retirement of Bjergsen. But the whole point here is that the future of 100 Thieves looks really, really good. 
that's what I think that people need to take away from this. And even if this team sort of slightly uh, slows down towards the end of the split, you know, maybe they will make playoffs, obviously, because, you, you know, top six teams make playoffs in, in our 18 league now. Even if they finished as the number five, number six seed and made playoffs, lost one series and got out. I still feel like you got to look at this as a win for 100 Thieves just because of how much better the roster looks compared to the expectations. So all in all, I think there's only things you need to be happy about 100 Thieves. Yes, mistakes are going to happen. Rough games are going to happen for some of these players. But the fact that they're sitting at a four and three record right now after playing uh, a lot of good teams, you know, they play, they've played FlyQuest, they've played Team Liquid, they've played Cloud9. Uh, I think uh, they've played NRG. Like th- those are four of the best teams in the league whom I've just now realized I'm talking about them playing all the teams. There's been a first round robin that's happened, so they've obviously played every team. I don't know why I'm listing teams they have and haven't played because they've played them all. Anyways, my point being the fact that they've looked good against these teams and are sitting at a four and three record for the first round robin is great. Because if you would have told me they'd have been one and six, I'd have been like, cool. That was the expectation. By my by my calculations, they are plus three more wins than they probably should have. So I think there's a real possibility that this team could be top four, top five. I, I think that if if you want to even reset your expectations, I would say top five. This team is a top five team with its potential, with its young players, with the high quality jungler that River is, and only good things to say about 100 Thieves. Uh, next up, we have Team Liquid, also four and three. But I would say not necessarily the same four and three that 100 Thieves are sitting in. I, I think they're similar to the discussion I was having around NRG. Team Liquid is kind of in that similar situation where they're kind of just sitting in the middle of the pack. And I'm wondering when Team Liquid is going to break into the top two. For, for the amount of success that Team Liquid has had in the LCS over the last six years, they have not been in the regular season or playoffs in the top two since the spring split of 2022. And obviously, if you remember, that was a Team Liquid roster that had Whippo, uh, Santorin, Bjergsen, Hansama, Core JJ. They finished top two in the regular season of the spring split, then obviously lost in the third place match in the playoffs. Uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly where they finished in the regular season of summer, but didn't end up making Worlds, so they were the fourth place team. And in 2023, they never were higher than third place. And I think that, you know, you look at Team Liquid and their history in the LCS, this is not an org that wants to be sitting around third place, fourth place. This is the team that wants to get back to winning championships and hanging those championship banners in the LCS. Let's not forget, this team won four LCS championships in a row. From 2018 to 2019, like the back to back to back to back to back. That was Team Liquid, not TSM. TSM did back to back to back, and people still view them as the best LCS team domestically all time. But you got to look at Team Liquid and be like, when are they going to regain some of that championship glory, which they've seemed to lost? They, they seem to have lost. And I think some of the questions are going to be around the roster and its potential. Because you go back to what the season was supposed to look like for NRG or for Team Liquid, sorry, and they doubled down on Yon and APA as the carries of this team. You know, this team had a pretty clear system in place last year where they had a very strong topside in Summit and Pioshik, and Yon and APA were kind of going to do what they can to survive, not make the game losing mistakes. Same on the top side of the map because Summit would unfortunately make some kind of game losing mistakes, but 
The plan was for them to be neutral and for their top side to carry. And I think what we're seeing now in summer or in spring 2024 is the top side of the map from Team Liquid is very neutral with Impact and Umti. They're pretty much just doing everything by the books. Impact is going to play solid laning champions. He's going to get his lane phase, transition that into a strong mid to late game and do what he needs to do in team fights and objective setups to let APA and Yon carry. And I will admit, I think my... Maybe I was drinking the Kool-Aid on the APA... Sorry, not the APA. On the Yon Core JJ uh, bot lane synergy just because I don't think we've seen them be as strong of a bot lane as they were in 2023. I still will... Uh, I still will submit that Team Liquid was the best laning bot lane in all of 2023, just purely in terms of getting ahead in lane and generating leads in lane. But we really haven't been seeing that in 2024. It feels like Core JJ and Yon actually have been some of the most passive, and, and I don't mean passive as in losing, I just mean passive as in doing nothing uh, bot lane for this entire split, because it just feels like the way that Team Liquid's playing a lot of these games out, they have a very slow style very low kill game scores in a lot of their games. You know, the, the, look at the Dignitas game from the first uh, day of the Super Week where the, I think the kill score was eight to four uh, through the 30 to 35 minutes of the game. So the fact that I think Core JJ and Yon haven't been as strong as I thought they were going to be definitely I think is why Team Liquid maybe isn't as strong as I was perceiving them to be because I thought this team was going to be the third best team. You know, uh, if you, I had my power rank as a C91 Energy 2 Fly or Team Liquid 3 Fly Quest 4. And while they are sitting at a 4 and 3 record tied for second place, it, it really doesn't feel like that. It just feels like Team Liquid has been sitting in this gray area middle ground for the last two years. And I'm just wondering when Steve's just going to like get the whip out and be like, dude, like we're Team Liquid. We spend all this money. We've been one of the top teams in the LCS for the last five, six years. Like we need to get back to that point, you know, even despite the struggles of very, you know, the highs and lows of your TSMs, your 100 thieves, your cloud nine, and even, I don't know if I said FlyQuest already, but FlyQuest, we've seen those teams, yes, struggle, but also at certain points reach their potential. And at one point in time, whether that's two years ago, three years ago, six months ago, they were at the top, but Team Liquid has not gotten back to the top in almost two and a half years. So I'm really wondering what it's going to take for this team to turn it around. I think that unless we see a big shakeup in the meta, I really don't expect Impact or Umti to change their style of play. I, I still expect them to be playing a very tank utility-centric style. I'm expecting Impact to play your Cassantes, your Udyrs, your Aatroxes, maybe to whip out some of his, his wacky picks like maybe the Mordekaiser, the Shen, who knows? I feel like Shen might randomly, random aside, I feel like Shen would be a strong champion right now in the meta. No, no idea how it does, you know, how the laning matchups go against all the other meta top laners, but just the way that the game is being played, I feel like Shen just might be a good pick. Random thought there, but. The point being, it's going to be on Yon and APA to carry. And sitting here, what is it, maybe seven months from when they made their debut in the LCS, I still don't have an answer as if I can reliably count on APA and Yon to carry games because APA on occasion does have those super int games and Yon isn't, at least I would say, he hasn't been as effective in lane this year. And I think, you know, while we're not necessarily seeing those 
egregious mistakes from Jan specifically. Like he hasn't had any of those super int moments where he's dashing into five people in team fights and insta dying, you know, pulling a tactical, if you will. But I, I just I feel like I I feel like I say this every week, but I need to see more from Team Liquid. They're they're just they're not giving me enough to lock them in as a top team in the LCS, whether that's top two or top three. Uh, we got Cloud9 up next. Obviously, they were the big story of the Super Week going 0-3, now on a four-game losing streak. Uh, funnily enough, losing three matches in a row for the first time since summer 2016. That's a crazy stat. You know, when, when you talk about uh, domestic, longevity of domestic success, the fact that Cloud this is Cloud9's first at minimum three-game losing streak since summer 2016 is just a crazy stat. I think that just really proves how strong Cloud9's been over the course of their 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 journey in the LCS, I guess, if you will. But uh this super week was definitely um cause for concern. And I, I say that as a Cloud9 fan, and I say that because the conversation around this team last week was, yeah, they lost that game to Shopify. You know, eh, there was some experimentation going on. They're going to be fine. They're going to be first place again. No worries. And I think the majority of people were kind of just working under that assumption that the Cloud9, the, the individual skill of Cloud9 and its players was going to show itself and was going to propel this team just naturally up in the standings. But we're really not seeing any of that. I think it's funnily enough, the problems with cloud nine seem to be on like a bit of a, it's a, it's a bit of a cycle. You know, it's cloud nine, cloud nine doesn't win. Like the old meme used to be cloud nine wins spring, but doesn't win summer. So the cycle kind of goes, you know, cloud nine's a, a strong winning team. Uh, cracks, you know, the next step is cracks start to form. Uh, you see what's going on with cloud nine. Uh, the next step is they ignore those cracks and continue to play the same exact way, continue to lose. That's the stage we're on right now. And then it is once summer, uh, well, I guess now that the new one is clean, nine doesn't win spring, they win summer. So summer rolls around cloud nine fixes everything. They win summer, go to worlds because they always go to worlds, whatever. But my original point before I got in this weird convoluted uh, analogy was the problems with cloud nine. They're the same problems. Uh, you go back to one year ago when Cloud9 was, or sorry, I said one year, two years ago. Is it two years ago now? When Summit was, yeah, it was two years ago, sorry. Two years ago, you look at the Cloud9 team that had Summit, uh, Blabber, Fudge Midlane, uh, Berserker, and then sort of Winsome slash Isles. That team was a team that was basically built around drafting team compositions that whose only goal in mind was to win lane. And that's how we're going to win the lane. We're, or sorry, we're going to win the game. We're going to win the game through lane. And when you, they couldn't do that, there was really no answers for what the team could do. I think if you go back and look at all those games that was sort of towards the end of spring 2022, all of it was Cloud9 picks strong early game champions. Uh, then they die in lane on those champions. They don't get ahead. And then they have no resources or ability to team fight past 20 minutes into the game. And they lose. And I feel like that's exactly what we're seeing from this current Cloud9. Uh, a lot of the champions and the, the drafts that they're picking are, are predicated on winning lane. And when they don't win lane, you just kind of see it similar to um, what I was mentioning with Team Liquid. They just, they, they slow the game down so much when they, when they can't win their lanes and they can't team fight. They do as much as they possibly can to try to avoid team fights up until the moment comes where they actually have to do it. 
you know, I want to pull up their, I want to pull up their game log just from this past Super Week because you look at it and against Immortals, Team Liquid, and FlyQuest, Cloud9 had four kills, seven kills, and one kill. And I mean, I don't have the numbers from the last six years, but I would say over the course of the past six years, Cloud9 is probably one of the bloodiest teams in the LCS. The very high kills per game, just because that's the way that they've played for the most part. You know, when Cloud9 is at its best, it's when the lanes are playing well, but they're, they're, I guess they're playing well in tandem with Blabber having a huge impact on the map. And Blabber, while I still think that he's one of the best junglers in the LCS and you know, maybe he isn't having the greatest season, I feel like he's falling into a little bit of the trap that we saw Closer fall into uh, last year on 100 Thieves. Now, I will admit, I, I, was, I was kind of defending Closer for the most part of 2023 just because I was more of the opinion that uh, 100 Thieves as a whole was utilizing the jungle incorrectly, the jungle role incorrectly, as opposed to closer individually playing bad. And I think the same thing right now is going on with Blabber, where he's purely focused on playing the efficiency game. And what I mean by that is ensuring that he's pathing well in order to farm his camps, showing up to lanes when necessary to cover, and taking objectives. But apart from that, you know, Blabber isn't really doing anything active on the map. He's turned into, at least for the first seven games of the I shouldn't say seven games. For the, for the last four games, he's purely playing reactionary. And, and it's just quite confusing considering that seems to be so anti-Blabber. Blabber is normally the one who is looking for a strong early game jungler to pick it, invade the enemy jungler, buck him up so that he can go affect lanes while the enemy jungler is forced to take a base, reset, go to the opposite side of his map, do a split map type of thing, anything like that. And I just feel like the creativity that we seem to always see from Cloud9 and most specifically Blabber is just completely gone. All that we're seeing out of Blabber is perma farming. And I think that's exactly what we saw last year from the likes of Santorin and Closer, whose performances a lot of people were very disappointed in. And I think part of that is because uh, the team as a whole necessarily doesn't know what they want to be doing with the jungler during the game. But I think Blabber himself being the leader and the main voice on Cloud9, I think maybe need to switch up his play style a bit. It's, it's truly hard to tell because Blabber, by all accounts, is the shot caller of Cloud9, specifically in the early game, just because he's the jungler. Junglers are kind of the natural shot callers of the game in the early game. And the fact that this is the most passive we've ever seen Blabber, um, it's not surprising at all that those are correlating in a lot of Cloud9 losses. Um, yeah. Um, I guess just to quickly jump back on the one point I was making earlier about um, drafting team comps that are predicated on winning lane, I feel like that's what we're seeing out of the bot lane in Berserker and Vulcan. Um, as everybody knows, because they kind of talk about it all the time on the LCS broadcast, Lucian has not been a very strong pick in the LCS. I think it picked up its first win, I think, during the Super Week. Maybe it has two wins on it now, but it's something like... Here, let, let, me, let me even find what it is. But I think Lucian is like one or two in seven in the LCS right now. And the fact that, uh, just the fact that we're seeing all these Lucians struggle is just concerning, specifically because Berserker, I think, played, he played all three Lucian games, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, right? I'm just going to double check here. Oh, no, he played, a, sorry, he played a Varus game the first time around, but 
uh, four of his games, the split so far, have been on Lucian. And the fact that we're not seeing him get those early game leads, and in fact, actually getting solo killed. They got solo killed twice by the FlyQuest spot lane. And I also believe in the Immortals bot lane, they also got, sorry, not, not the Immortals game, uh, the, the, the Team Liquid game. They also, I think, they died once, right? He died once. I can't remember if it was laning kill. Sorry if I if I screwed that up, but it, it was most obvious in the FlyQuest uh, game where they were really struggling on the, the Lucian Nami slash Milio priority. And I'm just also thinking that maybe Cloud9 needs to shift away from that strategy just because they haven't really looked good on it as a team. You know, Lucian, especially we're seeing as a very short range to carry in the meta right now, seems to really be struggling in this sort of tank top side meta that we've been seeing. You know, a lot of the top lane and jungle champions have tons of CC, uh, a lot of slows. Like, I know everybody talks about like CC, obviously crowd control, you know, stuns, roots, uh, suppressions, all those things are going to be the big defining moments that you see in a team fight or in a various scrap, but slows, I feel like are something that's super underrated and Lucian hates slows. I mean, I know his E has like a cleanse for slows that, you know, helps, but when you have champions that exist, like your, your Udyr top lane, your, your Cassante, uh, some of the junglers, like a Rel, like an Ivern, any of these champions that can spam out a lot of CC, especially, um, as Lucian being such a short range ADC that has to play up in the face of his opponents, it just seems to really struggle all around. And I'm, I'm wondering if we're just going to see C9 straight up drop this combo as opposed to continue to try to play it because it just feels like for the most part the, the pick is struggling in all of North America. I know it's having more success in the Eastern regions and I think that's just simply going to be a byproduct of the Eastern players are better than the Western players and that's why Lucian's going to be better. They know how to min-max the champ better. They mechanically play better. But I just think it's probably going to turn into one of those picks that we maybe don't see as much of in North America purely because the players aren't good enough to be playing it. And I feel like when you kind of say that as a statement, like players aren't good enough to be playing it, normally you would think that that statement doesn't apply to a player like the likes of Berserker. Because I've said it, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Barring the last four games of the LCS regular season 2024, Berserker's been probably the best, if not one of the top two, top three players in the LCS ever since he came in. So the fact that he's not even able to find success on this champion, I think, you know, is concerning. Um, and then last thing I have to say is uh, top lane. You know, Fudge, he's just simply not cutting it. Um, I feel like I say this every single week now when I talk about Fudge, but I'll, I've, I have to keep saying it. He has not looked good ever since the basically first half of spring 2023. That was when we had a sort of a bit of a carry centric top lane style. I mean, it's still sort of carry centric, but uh, when we had the Cassante meta where it was a lot of Cassante, Jax, Fiora, Fudge really thrived in that meta because he was able to sort of show his prowess in lane and use those big advantages that he was able to get in lane to draw the enemy jungler to come to his lane, you know, be a bit of a pressure sponge. And in the cases where the enemy team would go elsewhere, he would do a really good job of pressing his advantages in those side lanes in a 1v0, for example. But I think in this more tank utility-based top lane that we're seeing, um, Fudge doesn't really seem to have those same skills that he has in lane uh, as opposed to like a player like Impact, for example, who is obviously super, super proficient in the macro game, understanding, hey, 
Um, I can free, you know, I got the push in the lane. I have TP advantage. I know exactly what I can be doing on these timings. I can go mid here. I can go get a ward into the enemy jungle here. I can do a multitude of these different things. And I feel like Fudge just doesn't seem to have that same knowledge, despite him playing, you know, some of these tank utility type picks. You know, we're seeing him on uh, the Aatrox, the the Udyr. I mean, Aatrox doesn't necessarily fit that bill, but when you're playing Aatrox into one of these lane neutralizers like the Udyr, your job isn't now about winning lane and pushing your advantage in lane. It's about getting the push, understanding what to do with the pressure that you have on the map, and being able to go and affect uh, the rest of the map and the rest of the lanes. I feel like in a, a couple of the games we saw in the Super Week, uh, even specifically in the Cloud9 versus Team Liquid game, we saw Impact either sacking waves or pushing waves to, and he was playing the Udyr, that is. We saw Impact sacking waves or pushing waves after he would get the push to affect the rest of the map. And we pretty much just see Fudge exclusively sit in lane. And that's really not what you need to be doing in this meta right now. It's about pushing your lane and doing whatever you possibly can to help out the rest of the map. And I've just, I've, I don't know, I've just been really down on Fudge for the last, what is it, six to nine months now. And I think I said at the, uh, I think I said this at the end of 2023, but it was fairly obvious that MNS was going to get replaced. And he obviously did get replaced by Jojo Pune, but I've said, Budge should be next in line for a potential replacement. You know, there was questions of, well, does Cloud9 have the right support in place? You know, is Ven going to still be a good support for Berserker? It was up to me. I would have been replacing Fudge way before I was replacing anything that was um, with regards to the bot lane. So I feel like it's not a good look for Cloud9 sitting at the three and four mark. And like I said right at the start, if there's a panic button, I, I might consider pushing that button. Only time will tell. But, uh, not the best look for Cloud9 going into the second half of the regular season. Uh, next up, we have Immortals, also sitting at a 3-4 record, having beat Cloud9 in the first game of the Super Week. I feel like that was... Cloud9 always loses like a couple of random games to some bottom teams. You know, For the most part, Cloud9, like when they're obviously playing well and they're playing well in the regular season, they usually beat everybody towards the top but then they'll have that like one or two random losses to your immortals or your golden gardens, golden guardians formerly uh, before they exited the LCS. And I feel like the first game of the super week was kind of another example of that where it's like, Oh, cloud nine lost to immortals, but you know, they'll bounce back. They'll be good. But no, that first game against immortals, I think was actually a telling tale because immortals just did a really good job in not letting the, the pressure get to them of playing cloud nine. Cause I feel like, over the last maybe two, two-ish years, I want to say, Cloud9 have been the top dog in the LCS, and there's a pressure that comes with playing the best team. It's, well, we have to beat this team early because if the game goes late, you know, they're just going to beat us because they're better. Or we have to pick something that's going to dominate the early game because if we don't win the early game, like, there's no hope for us. And I feel like in a very slow game like we saw at the Cloud9 Immortals game, because there was only, what, one kill for the first 33 minutes of that game, I feel like some uh, weaker teams or some, you know, maybe not as experienced teams would, at that point, maybe get a little bit scared, maybe get a little uh, too jumpy to pull the trigger and start a fight that could end up being a bad fight because they just feel like they might need to. And once again, when you talk about the problems with Cloud9, you really saw when, when they weren't able to win lanes in that game, Immortals just took over the game just with the champions that they were playing. I, I remember even also saying this last week. 
in this type of a meta where you're playing a very front to back style of meta when the game goes past 30 to 30, 30 to 35 minutes it's about which champions do more effective damage um and when you have like double tank when you have like a double tank top and a utility based support with double carry mid adc i'm always going to take the enemy's composition if they have like sort of five not necessarily like four damage dealers basically and Immortals didn't necessarily have four damage dealers because they had like an Ivern plus a Bard. Like those obviously aren't damage dealers, but those are big time supports in the mid and late game in terms of providing that utility of crowd control and healing and shielding. Like healing and shielding, I feel like some people kind of refer to also as effective damage because it's you're taking damage away from the enemy team. So in a sense, that allows your team to deal more damage. Um, and you just really saw the Immortals comp shine in that game. And the biggest reason, I think, why... You know, I think Immortals are on the up because I even said this last week. It's like, dude, I was under the expectation that Immortals were just going to be the bottom feeder of the league. That once again, you, you you go to the beginning of the split and tell me that Immortals is going to finish eighth. That was like, cool. Tell me what else is new. And the fact that they're not, and they're actually looking pretty pretty solid, going two and two and one in the super week. Another team that they beat was actually NRG, and similar to that Immortals versus Cloud Nine game, in that, sorry, I'm just pulling it up here. Um, in that Immortals vs. NRG game, it, it was kind of, uh, wasn't exactly the same in terms of how slow the game was, but Immortals was the ones who were controlling the game. They were setting the tempo of the game. They really never let NRG into the driver's seat too, too much. You know, I mean, Contracts, he obviously had a, he had a decent early game, but I feel like Armeo did a really good job with the Nocturne-Oriana combo. D I've really not been a fan of Nocturne as a pick in general for, for most of this year, except for when they pair it with the Orianna. And I feel like the Orianna-Nocturne combo is one of the best combos that we're seeing uh, right now in the LCS. feels pretty similar to Orianna-Rel when Rel first came out, and that was like a very bread-and-butter pick that people were picking. And I think that that's the sort of like the, the next version of that where Nocturne is being paired up with Orianna. And if that's the case, I'm really happy about it, but... Not necessarily a big fan of Nocturne, just in a vacuum, but back to Immortal. Sorry, I'm getting hella sidetracked. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of there's a lot to like with this Immortals team. You know, week one definitely wasn't the best. I think people saw Castle and Mask really struggle, and a lot of flame came their way, partially because they were supposed to be viewed as you know, somewhat decent players considering they were imports and people weren't necessarily a fan of them choosing to import sort of relatively unknown talent as opposed to either proven imports or, you know, young North American talent. And the fact that they've really stepped up their performances in the last two weeks, I think is, like I said, even last week, is kind of turning the opinion of, of these players because even in the loss to 100 Thieves, I thought that Castle's Zach wasn't actually that bad. I think that a lot of flame was being thrown his way and those same conversations about castles kind of just an inter got brought back up again. But I still think that for the most part, he was effectively doing his job in a lot of, in a lot of team fights. You're always going to look like the, when a team is behind and losing and you're the one who's being the primary engage, you're always going to look like a bit of an inter when those engages go wrong or your team is just so behind, you can't uh, win the fight. Or, and I think most specifically this example Immortals literally picked no damage. They had no damage in the team comp that they picked. Their team comp was Zach, Rel, Jace, Senatom, Kench. 
Now, Son of Tom Kench, you know, is a very effective lane pick, but doesn't necessarily do a lot of damage. Provides a lot of utility and CC for your other members to hit and deal said damage, but kind of Zack and Rill were also serving that same purpose on the top side of the map, and when you also don't have a good damage spread with no primary, like, ability uh, AP damage source. Uh, yeah, kind of just a, just a bit of a throwaway game from Immortals in general, and it's kind of unfortunate because that's a game against 100 Thieves where you want to make a bit of a playoff push and you want to enter the, you know, kind of you want to get some respect back on your name. I feel like those matches against the mid-tier teams are ones you have to win now. Don't get me wrong. Obviously very big that Immortals beat, you know, top teams in Energy and Cloud9, but when you truly want to be a contender and you want to be, you know, considered a contender, you got to be consistent. And the fact that Immortals had a bit of a happy game against 100 Thieves kind of sucks. But nonetheless, I think similar to 100 Thieves, a very positive direction that Immortals is heading in. And I think that uh, the future... I say the future. I don't really mean the future because who knows? Immortals changes its roster, the majority of its roster every single year. But the outlook of 2024, I think, looks somewhat decent for this Immortals team. And I think a lot of that also has to do with their bot lane. Um, I feel like the jury's been out on tactical for two years in a row now that this guy should be replaced. But he's still sticking around and he's playing well. And the fear for tactical and I think the majority of this team was going to be if they got behind, this team was just going to be completely doomed because you're going to have Armeo who's trying to fill in a bunch of holes going on. And they obviously threw that graphic up. I think it was Immortals' first game that they played in 2024. They threw up some graphic on the stream, which was tactical. And it was tactical went ahead at 14 minutes was like four and five. And tactical went behind, at, you know, gold difference at 14 minutes was 0 and 9. And it's no secret that tactical has always been a strong laner but his issues over the last two to three years have always been around his positioning and the mistakes that he makes in team fights. And similar to kind of what we were talking about with uh, Team Liquid, we're not necessarily seeing those mistakes, uh, but I think in tactical case, we're actually seeing those carry moments that we've maybe been missing over the course of the last two years because it's just been a lot of inting from tactical and a lot of not so great gameplay. And we're just seeing a much more stable tactical. And I think... It's just really good because Ole seems to be a massive upgrade to any other support that they've had in recent memory. Obviously, Ole was another player that part of the reason why people were not necessarily super hyped about this Immortals roster was Ole was coming off a one-year break or maybe even more than that, I guess a year and a half, two years because of his uh, required Korean military service. So the fact that he's back, he's also looking really, really good. I think all of Immortals is kind of on the upswing right now. Like both solo laners, you look at week one and... The, the talk that was going on around the team, they're getting better. The bot lane's getting better. Uh, Armeo is still a guy who I'm just, I don't really know what to think of him. I think he's kind of just, uh, he kind of falls to where the rest of the team is performing. Like when the rest of the team is performing really, really well, Armeo can be at that level and can follow the team and uh, in, in, some, in certain instances lead the team. But I feel like whenever Armeo is losing, like whatever the game state that he's in is losing, he doesn't necessarily know or execute what to do to get out of that situation. And you could also argue that some of it is because he doesn't necessarily have the greatest players at his disposal when he was on EG last year, when he's on IMT this year. But the fact that when he's able to, you know, when the team is playing well, he's playing well, that that's really what's most important. And I think that, 
You heard it here first. Immortals is making playoffs. I, I do think they'll make playoffs. Um, I, I, I wrote it down here. It says, since Immortals re-entered LCS, which was in spring 2020, uh, they've only made playoffs once. So in the last eight playoffs, they've only made playoffs once. And keep in mind that since 2020, that's when they also introduced the eight-team playoff and Immortals has only made it in playoffs once out of eight possible splits. So I, we, break, we break in the streak. Immortals is making playoffs. They've convinced me. They flipped me. I was an Immortals hater at the beginning of the split thinking they were going to be terrible. I think they're going to make playoffs. I, I can confidently say I think they're going to make it. Oh, okay, who do we got next? Uh, next up, we have Shopify Rebellion. Um, the one and only thing that I wrote for Shopify Rebellion, and I, when I say one and only, I don't mean that as a, it's gonna be, this is going to be a quick conversation and a team that we can just brush over, but I think it's actually a bit of a larger conversation. And what I wrote down here is, is Insanity the reverse power of evil? And if people have no idea what I'm referring to, um, it's the notion, if, if people who remember what, who Power of Evil is, uh, he played in both the EU LCS, LEC, uh, and LCS. And there was a pretty big stigma surrounding him pretty much his entire career. And that was of, he can only play control mages. He cannot play anything else other than control mages. And that wasn't just a random you know, uh, statement that was made up by the community. The, the proof was in the pudding. You, know, you go look a lot of his record on uh, different champions that aren't control mages, you know, other play styles, include like the melee assassins of Silas and Akali, some of the marksman mid laners that we've seen pop up uh, in League over the course of the last few seasons, you know, your Lucians, your Tristanas, um, and then even some of the more supportive or tankier type picks, whether it's like a tank mid lane or a support like a, a Karma, a Seraphine, anything like that. Power of Evil was really only proficient at a high level on the control mages and he wasn't really able to deviate to you know he wasn't able to stray away from those types of picks and anytime that he was asked to really wasn't able to perform and insanity feels like kind of the opposite where we haven't really been and this is even over the course of his whole lcs career if you want to throw this back to his earlier days on immortals um insanity has never really been the player to be playing the meta he's a very anti-meta type of player and i think we saw that last year uh when they were shopify was formerly tsm and we're seeing it this year uh on shopify rebellion where i just want to pull up his his champion picks here uh but in this first seven games he's played three scion games a zach game a garen game one corky game one akali game so i guess if you want to label corky and akali meta champions they are pretty meta champions so do that he's played off meta five out of the first seven games and Talked about this a little bit last week, but is that going to be a problem for Shopify moving forward? And people might ask, well, why is that a problem? Some people consider playing anti-meta actually a good thing because it, you know, your opponents have like less practice on the champion that you're playing. You potentially know the matchup better than they do. But I think that uh, the point that I was making last week was you're kind of stretching yourself too thin where your teammates also have to play around this style of champion and have to learn how to play with this style of champion and when it comes time to any meta shifting, uh, you're either going to have to learn some new spice in order to counter the meta, or at a certain extent, you're probably just going to have to learn the meta. 
And just the fact that Insanity's always been a bit of a wacky player over the course of his entire career, I don't necessarily view that as a negative, but it does make me wonder when the time actually comes to play the meta, is he going to be able to do that at a high level? Just because from the first seven games that we've seen so far, only two of them have been quote-unquote meta champions, and those performances haven't necessarily been the best. And if you're a if you're an avid watcher of the the co streams like myself and Blue Jay are, um, one of the main talking points that Doublelift has said over the course of the last two weeks is that with Insanity specifically, when you're playing all this stuff that's super anti-meta, sometimes it can you know cheapen your wins and it doesn't necessarily give the greatest look on the player themselves because they can't play the meta. They're not going to be as proficient on the meta, and I think it's honestly something I really agree with. I think, you know, there's been a lot of, I've seen a lot of stuff on Reddit and Twitter saying, you know, people disagreeing with Double of saying, you know, oh no, it's a really good thing that someone should be playing. You know, they can play what's not the meta. Being a really flexible player is really great for, you know, this team game where it's 5v5 and there's the drafting phase, which require, like, that's a whole plan that, like, you can't necessarily plan for what insanity is going to do. And I, I think to a certain extent, it can be to the detriment of your own team to where you're not playing what the meta is and you're not necessarily uh, as practice as other teams on these meta type comps. And I guess what I'm trying to say here is like, I feel like, I feel like they need to go in one direction or the other. I feel like it can be very difficult to try to do both of those. And I fear that if insanity tries to do both, it could ultimately be his downfall. Um, and I mean, the best solution I would say is to sort of just get, revert back to the meta. Because even when he played a lot of the meta champions in uh, summer 2023 on TSM, he still looked pretty good. He did also have his, you know, various wacky picks that he whipped up. I think he played a Scion mid game last year, played a couple of Graves mid lane games. I don't remember other picks. I know way back in the Immortals days, he was playing some AP Kogma mid lane. I really love that. But I, I do just want to see Shopify. Not cook as much potentially. I know a lot of people do love the fact that Insanity is cooking up some some fun and wacky picks, and I know it's cool for the broadcast that they get to throw up the LCS live patch first with the blaring air horn. Like I like that. That stuff's fun. But don't get me wrong. You know, winning is more important than any of that. And I feel like for Shopify and them being a good team, they need to just kind of hone it in, really, like reel it in a little bit. But uh, you know. Find your spots to where Insanity can whip out some of those wacky picks because in certain spots, I think it's really valuable, especially when best of fives come around. If this team, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're towards the bottom of the standing sitting at two and five. I think there's a potential worry that they might not make playoffs. Um, if you make it to the playoffs, having those wacky picks is a huge benefit in best of fives. And that's where I think that those types of strategies can really shine, not in this regular season best of one uh, type of environment. Um. Feels like apart from mid lane, there's not really a whole lot to talk about with this team. Um, Bevoy, he looks really good. I think despite Shopify's um, struggles, or I should say continued struggles, you know, Bevoy still looks really, really good. Um, their top side of the map, I mentioned this last week, has been kind of underwhelming, and it feels like it continues to be a little underwhelming. You know, I was really high on Boogie throughout all of 2023. I thought he was one of the better junglers in the league. But going into 2024 with some upgrades on the roster, most specifically at uh, top lane and AD carry, that this was going to sort of give, like this was going to unlock Boogie to be even better because you get him, he's already a good player. You get better players on the team. That's going to make him better. And I don't think we've necessarily seen that. Um, and same with Fake God. I think 
uh, we sort of did make the comparison to Dokla from a couple years ago where this was a guy who did play in the LCS, a fake god that has played in the LCS on 100 Thieves and Dignitas early in his career, didn't necessarily have the strongest of performances, kind of went into the Challenger League slash Academy scene for about a year, year and a half, played on some really good squads. You know, he was on C9 Academy uh, and then DSG who won the, uh, they won the NACL last summer. Um, we just really haven't seen that type of impact from him since he's joined the team, but I don't think that necessarily means that he's going to be a, he can't make those improvements because I think he can. And you know, like I said, while he hasn't been anything special, he hasn't been bad by any means. You know, I just think that a lot of the, a lot of the volatility surrounding this team mainly resides in mid and jungle. And I think that we clean some of that up and Shopify could look like a much better team with Bvoy on a strong carry champion and uh, insanity, hopefully in a, in more of a stable game where he can uh, do more than just be a tank. Because while I do think there are certain spots to where the tank mid lane stuff can work, I even remember talking about it last week, you know, Scion uh, and Galio mid have sort of been popped up as some counter picks to heavy AP team comps because you can rush the can of and whatnot, but not necessarily the biggest fan of blind picking uh, the Scion, which seems to be what Shopify is doing. I really feel like it's got to be in a bit of a counter pick spot as opposed to just purely blind. Um, and then the last team that we got here is uh, Dignitas. Um, also sitting at a 2-5 and five record. Um, went 1-2 and two in the Super Week. Um, tied with Shopify at the bottom 7th place. Um, one of the... I feel like a pretty common trope we see with some bottom teams in the LCS is... Excuse me. Uh, they don't have a carry. And like when it comes to the mid and late game, who's going to carry this team? And I feel like with Dignitas, it's actually the opposite, where I feel like this team has too many carries, and they have too many players who want to be the carry, and they really only have XU sort of playing the engage slash facilitator. I just think that more often than not, all the entire game, when it comes to mid and late game, just breaks down to, can XU find the perfect engage? Because he's purely being put on these engaged champions, you know, the Vi, the Sedge. I think he played one Viego game as well, but uh, a lot of Vi for this guy. And honestly, I think his Vi has been pretty, pretty good. I think Vi is a strong champion right now. He does a really good job of being disruptive, starting team fights, getting engages on priority targets. And I think he does a good job of it. But when he's not able to find those engages or he's not, as a, he's not ahead in the jungle and he can't really do that, it feels like Dig sort of freezes. And they don't exactly know what to do. And I think kind of the perfect example of that was the game against Team Liquid, where Dig jumped out to a pretty decent early game lead. And a lot of people were thinking that, hey, Team Liquid's always a very volatile team in the in the mid and late game. When they don't have an early game lead, sometimes they can fall apart. And going into, you know, facing a team like Team Liquid, going into the game with like a two, three thousand gold lead in the first 20 minutes of the game is really all you can ask for. Because I do think that the carry players on Dignitas are actually really, really good. Most specifically, Rich and Dove. I, I think Rich, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just the only guy who's like the biggest Rich stand, but like this guy is really good, man. Like despite the poor performances that we've seen from the rest of Dig, for the most part, Rich has been Rich has been solid both this year and last year. And Dove too, I, I think he maybe had a little bit of a slower start, probably because it's his, you know, he's joining the team for the first time, first time in North America, whatever, whatever. But Dove's also still looking pretty good, and I think Tomo is pretty average. You know, I don't really have, I don't really have anything bad to say, nothing great to say about him either. I think he's a good carry, and 
I just think Isles is, he's just a bit of a passenger on this team. He's primarily playing, you know, the Enchanter style. I know he played a Tom Kench game. Just want to, uh, Isles. Sorry, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull up what he played just because I don't want to. But I don't, has he, apart from one Tom Kench game, I don't think that he's actually played um, a melee support. Maybe he's played two Tom Kench games. Yeah, no, he's got he's got one Tom Kench game. He has a Rakan game, so never mind. But he got one Rakan game, one Tom Kench game, two Melio, two Renata, one Ash. And then my initial point about this guy is I just think that he's a bit of a passenger. I, I think he does a somewhat decent job in lane with Tomo. You know, like this isn't a bot lane that's getting rolled every single game. And I think they're pretty solid for the most part in lane. But I just think outside of lane, he's not really doing a whole lot. And you know, yeah, sure. You can say he's not doing a whole lot because he's not, he's not, they're not picking champions to enable him to do a whole lot. Like, what are you going to do on Milio apart from shielding and healing people? What are you going to do on Renata Glass except for throwing your occasional Q, your alt, and pressing W on people? And Ash is just spamming volleys and hawk shots. There's not really a whole a lot that you can be doing. But I think that the way that this team is built right now and the way that this team is functioning, you have very, very, very strong carries in top and mid with Tomo being able to carry when needed like he just needs to be another xu another person who is making these engages happen facilitating the team and letting the carries carry and i think that like i said like the team is just too reliant on xu to be the sole person to start those fights you know when you look at all these dig games if xu has made a good engage dig is more likely off is more likely winning the fight but anytime there's a bit of a discoordinated engage and doesn't get his all, he doesn't get the engage on the proper target, it all falls apart. And I think that with Dig being this very all or nothing type of team, you know, you need another player who can be that sort of facilitator. And, you know, at the same time, maybe one of Rich or Dove needs to be, you know, put into that role. Maybe it's not, maybe the simplest solution isn't for support to do that just because we're in such a range support uh, type of meta. And if that's the case, then I'm a, I'm, I think Rich can do that. You know, Rich had a very Rich has had some pretty strong poppy games so far. Uh, Dove still just really purely a carry player, so we're not. I'm not exactly sure if he has the capability to do that, but some something needs to change on this team. Similar similar to what Shopify is doing, like Dig also needs that sort of switch to figure out because we know. I feel like we know what this team is really good at, and we just need to keep playing towards those strengths. And, I'm also a little bit concerned for Dignitas' sake if they're going to try to make playoffs or anything because with the standings so close towards the top being, you know, there's two teams at three and four, three teams at four and three, you're almost, you're basically a game and a half back no matter what with seven games to go and it's a lot of ground you got to make up in the second half. Um, well, that's all we got on the LCS teams. Um, I figured though, since we are halfway through the split, I would sort of revisit uh, some of the points that we had in a few of our earlier episodes with regards to some of the changes that they've been making on the LCS broadcast. Um, you know, uh, I previously brought up the fact that uh, in the LCS address video, Marxy talked about them wanting to reduce the transition times between games about 50%. Um, you know, through the first couple of weeks, that didn't necessarily seem to be the case. I know people were so pleased about the overall shortened uh, shortening of the broadcast, and I think that they've done a really good job at that. But I think it's also good that they've continually sort of pushed the specific transition time between games lower and lower. I think the first week it was around 20, 21 minutes. The second week was around, uh, you know, 18 minutes. And now this past weekend was 16 to 17 minutes every single time. And I think that 
that number is going to keep going down. Only a good thing. Uh, I'm really liking just the overall the broadcast itself. The fact that the games are condensed into one section of the broadcast. You have game, interview, piece of content, game, etc. for four games. And then long analyst or LCS lounge segments sort of before and after that. Especially with the... Uh, Sort of the podcast segment that they do at the end, those are actually pretty interesting. The fact that they sort of have three pros from three different teams sit down and discuss these various topics. I think all the changes that they've made have been a very good start. Um, One thing that I will say that I did mention before, I still don't like how some of the interviews are put within the three-minute break that happens between games, and they put it in a very small little... I mean, it's for the people who are watching on YouTube or Twitch, it's exactly what you're seeing right now. Like... My cam that you can see only covers about 20% of the screen. And they do that sometimes on the LCS broadcast with the player interviews. And I just think that that should be a time where you're purely focusing on the player, uh, the player's personality, connecting the, the broadcast with that player. And it doesn't necessarily, it just doesn't feel right to where you throw LCS will be right back, countdown timer of three minutes, and then also put a interview of a player up at the same time. It just feels like, Anytime that they have the interview happen directly after the game just feels, I don't know, just feels better than when they do it in the little picture-in-picture, three-minute break type of thing. Um, and I guess this week, they also officially announced that the LCS is starting one hour later, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern start time as opposed to 3 p.m. Eastern start time. That would be uh, 1 p.m. and noon on the West Coast. Um, as to not overlap with the LEC, and this just felt like an obvious change that needed to happen. Uh, why the hell were we overlapping the LCS with the LEC in the first place? I feel like this was something that was even talked about as to why they wanted to move the games initially from the weekends to the weekdays was because we don't want our various leagues overlapping. Then why the hell are we starting the LCS when we've reduced a game a day? Why are we still starting it at the end of the last game of LEC? Didn't make any sense. I'm glad they made that change. No more overlapping. Should increase the viewership for the initial first match. All that's going to be good. Um, alrighty. Um, I'll move on to predictions now. Um, I'll throw up Blue Jays predictions because he still made those predictions last week. Uh, but sorry, this is normally where Blue Jays talking, and I can go on the stream and get a pull up everything, and he can fill the time in. But I have to do both of those things now. But here we go. Uh, on the screen, I'll read out for the for the audio only people. The records are seventeen and one for myself, uh, and fifteen and thirteen for Blue Jay. Now, obviously, I'm the only one doing predictions here now, so only my predictions are going to be the ones that are probably going to be counted going forward. Uh, first match on Saturday: Energy versus Cloud Nine. I'm going to go with Cloud Nine. Uh, it probably it's probably a little bit of my C9 bias sinking into this, but. I feel like this is a game that C9 has to win in order to turn their season around. I feel like losing a game to NRG will put them one and one on the head to head with NRG, but also drop them to three and five would put them solely in sixth place, which just is not the best look for a team who many consider to be the favorites going into 2024. And I think I even said it myself, it would be a failure if they didn't win both splits. So C9 needs to win. Uh, next up, Immortals versus Dignitas. I'm telling you, Immortals playoffs, it's happening. IMT win. Uh, next up, TL versus 100 Thieves. Man, we got some bangers, actually. These are all some bangers. Um, I'm, I'm going to roll with Team Liquid, um, even though I think there's a lot to like about 100 Thieves right now. 
and they have a good future ahead of them. Uh, team Liquid is still at present a better team and has better players than them, so I would expect Yale to win. Uh, last up, FlyQuest versus Shopify. Feels like very easy answer, FlyQuest, but obviously now that I said it's a very easy answer, Shopify is probably going to win. Uh, first game on Sunday, Cloud9 versus 100 Thieves. Going to go with Cloud9. They have to win these games in order to, to sort of bring back their season, and I guess I'm really picking Cloud9 purely because they sort of have to or they're, or they're done. Uh, next up, NRG versus Dignitas. Going to go with NRG. Uh, they should they should be better than Dig. Uh, next up, Team Liquid versus Shopify. Going to go with Team Liquid. Uh, similar situation to the previous match of NRG versus Dig. You know, two teams pretty much in the same exact spot uh, facing off against each other. Team Liquid. And then last up, IMT versus FlyQuest. Unfortunately, while the playoff dream is alive, they probably aren't going to win this one, so I'm going to go with FlyQuest. I will take those down. And we got a little bit of quick news before we uh, close the show out. I've noticed I've actually been going by myself for an hour and 10 minutes. Kind of surprising. Uh, anyways, uh, we got a little bit of quick news. Uh, first up, got announced this morning that Caramine uh, Corp were, excuse me, dropping Yamato Cannon uh, as their head coach. Um, it wasn't necessarily clear if he was staying on the staff uh, in any other type of coaching capacity, or if he was previous, or if he was just completely done on Caramine Corp. I know they put out uh, Casey put out a statement, and they didn't. They basically said that it's up to him, his agent, and them to sort of discuss and figure out what his role is going to be. Um, I would assume that he's going to be on the staff still because if they didn't explicitly state that he wasn't going to be on the staff, why would they then change their mind and or give us that answer a number of days later? Um, we also heard from Casey that they weren't likely going to be making any roster changes. So you do have to wonder if that was sort of a clash of uh, styles between maybe coaching staff and organization that maybe it was Yamato's opinion that, Hey, we need to make some subs. We need to make some, uh, some subs, um, some substitutions and get some different players in. And maybe Casey, the org, didn't feel that that was necessary. So maybe they went a different direction and that different direction didn't include Yamato. Who knows? We'll, we'll probably figure out the situation a little bit more as uh, things continue to evolve. Uh, next up, we got a couple updates from some of the quick news segments from last week, just because I they updates were given to these situations. So I feel like we should talk about them. Uh, first up was TSM. If people remember in the last episode, uh, there was a tweet from TSM Dunk, who was their former head of socials, uh, who got let go by TSM. And in that stated that there was only nine other employees, or I guess eight other employees still working at TSM. And TSM put out a statement on their subreddit saying that they're committed to esports and that they still want to look for a LOL team in a tier one region. Now, while it's not necessarily surprising that TSM came out and said this because they had previously said it, I would say what is surprising and something that you should definitely look into is the fact that they said tier one region as opposed to major region, because the common keyword for the LCK, the LPL, the LEC, and the LCS is major region. Um, that's kind of what the major re like, that's what a major region, like the definition of major and minor region, you know, now it kind of was changed to emerging regions or wildcard regions, whatever terminology you want to use was these are the top dogs and these are the tier two guys. I, I shouldn't say tier two, but these are the, the secondary guys. And 
feel like the terminology of tier one and tier two isn't necessarily something that applies to league in general. It's just not really the the way that people describe the ecosystem. So the fact that they said tier one makes me believe that it's not necessarily going to be one of those top four major regions in that regions like the LLA, the CB Law, and that are considered in that tier one region bubble, if you will. So while I think on paper, when TSM says, we still want a league team in a tier one region, some people could read that as LCS, LEC, LCK, LPL. However, I think you do a little bit more thinking and that might necessarily... That, that might ultimately mean LLA, CB, LOL type of thing. Uh, I still think it'll be interesting to have TSM in League of Legends. They're obviously a very popular League of Legends team. That's what their whole brand was built on. And they'll probably be back. They said they want to do it by the end of 2024. Who knows if that's going to happen? Uh, but if it does, I still predict it to be in the LLA or the CB, LOL before LCK, LPL, LEC. Uh, next up was the Ultra Liga situation with some potential win trading that was going on. Um, there's no evidence that got found of them win trading. Uh, they weren't punished further. They were just serving that like two game suspension while they conducted an investigation. So while it looked pretty egregious, honestly, that they were win trading and that they were trying to throw that game, the evidence did not support it. So we'll have to see only. Uh, and last up was actually, I could have even said this when we were talking about the LCS broadcast, but uh, Mark Z did a, he did an AMA on the LCS YouTube channel. And I think pretty early on, he revealed that Pagoda was the official egg roll of the LCS. And I don't know about everyone else, but as like an OG LCS viewer and like league fan, I always liked those random sponsorships that just kind of became a meme. And I feel like they were good sponsors sort of because they became a meme. Like obviously the LCS more recently has been accustomed to some of these bigger sponsors like your state farm, like your Bud Light, like your Verizon. And those are obviously going to be very big corporate entities that you can't necessarily do a whole lot with. You know, you, you do what you, you do, what you're contractually obliged to. And there's not really a whole, it's not really a realm of doing a lot of fun stuff potentially. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to the, you know, the OnePlus memes that were going on when like OnePlus was a big sponsor. There was the HTC memes that were going on like that. If you're an OG LCS fan, HTC, that was like a huge meme back in like season three, season four, season five. And I feel like, and I, I guess I don't feel like I'm hoping that this new sponsor Pagoda will just become a meme because I don't know, just feels like it could be and it's kind of fun. So I guess the whole point here is that a sponsor, the LCS got a sponsor, which is a good thing because LCS was kind of losing sponsors. And I'm hoping that this one can turn into a bit of a meme just because I think it'll be fun. Uh, but I think that's it, man, for episode 151 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. Uh, I guess I'll take a bit of a minute here. I know maybe I should have done this at the start. Who knows? But not necessarily sure what the... Uh, the future is going to be looking like for the Clown Fiesta podcast. Obviously, there's LCS next week, which is going to be week four. They will be an episode next week for sure. More likely than not, it's going to be a solo episode again with myself. Um, but after that, after week four, there's obviously the two-week LCS break that happens. Now, I think originally me and Blue Jay were planning on having episodes during those th that two-week break. Not exactly sure if there are going to be episodes during that two-week break, so I'm not yet ready to say there's for sure going to be episodes on those days. Um, I am for sure good to say that 
There will be episodes uh, when the LCS picks back up again in week five, week six, and for the playoffs. Now, I guess what I will say, which I don't necessarily know, is probably going to try to reach out to some other smaller creators, maybe even some more medium to larger creators in the league space, maybe try to reach out to some former pro players and try to have um, another person on this podcast to make it a little bit more interesting so you're not just listening to myself. Uh, just because I don't even know if you're still listening to this an hour and 15 minutes in, I congratulate you. I'm shaking your hand. Thank you. Uh, but maybe you might be able to get some other people in here to give another opinion just because it's always good to bounce ideas off of one another, but there will be an episode next week. Not exactly sure if there's going to be episodes during the two week break. If I had to guess, I would say no, not sure though. I mean, it kind of all is also predicated on there being stuff going on during the two week break. There's obviously going to be LEC going on because they'll probably be picking up their spring split shortly after the conclusion of the winter split. Uh, but yeah. Um, and I guess as a, as far as the day of the episodes, we weren't exactly set on a day or time for when the episodes are going to happen. I would say that. I don't necessarily want to lock in a specific time or day as one of the episodes are going to come out specifically with it being a solo mission, mostly because that, you know, I have to watch all the games like anyways. And uh, if there is, is ever a time where I can't watch them, I don't necessarily have blue Jay to fall back on. If, if I've ever missed something or didn't see, didn't get to see all of them, he can sort of fill in those gaps. So yeah, uh, rambling here, but the point is being, uh, every, Everything might be a little all over the place moving forward, but I can confidently say episode next week, episodes will happen weekly, uh, end of the regular season, beginning of playoffs, uh, maybe with just myself, maybe with some other people, maybe get a bit of a rotating cast or rotating guest slot going on here, but we're going to, we're going to try, we're going to mix it up. We're going to have some fun. I'm going to get better at this doing it solo. I, I didn't pull up the FlyQuest thing at the beginning. Also, for the people who are watching live, it took me literally about 20 minutes probably to start the episode because kept screwing up the intro. Wasn't necessarily sure if things were landing right, but I feel like I got into the swing of things, doing things by myself. I feel like I'm going to go listen back to the first 30 minutes of this episode and I'm just going to be cringing. But I, I think I did a lot better of a job as, as the episode finished out. So we'll, we'll, we'll improve on these solo missions, but just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, biggest thing you guys can do is, you know, leave a comment, hit the like button, sub to the channel, follow on Twitch. You know, we're on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, a lot of the smaller platforms as well. Episodes always go up on YouTube at the very latest Monday nights these days. I, I guess if I'm going to lock in anything, that's what I can say. At the very latest, episodes will go up Monday night or be live streamed. Uh, yeah. Uh, this has been episode 151 of the Clown Fiesta podcast, just with me, signing off.